Good morning. I'm Dina Blizzard back at home and you're watching One Funny Morning. Welcome to One Funny Morning Show. From Monday to Friday. And sometimes on Saturday. Why would you say that all these people? You never know what's going to happen. Carmen. Cortez. Good morning, everybody. What's outside your weather drawer? Good morning. Uppy, uppy. Uppy, everybody. Hi, I'm Sarah Berte from Charlotte, North Carolina, originally from Buffalo, New York, and you're watching One Funny Morning with your host, Dina Blizzard. Good morning! Good morning! Thank you, Sarah, for the lovely intro. I'm loving all the intros. Oh, we're back at home. Yes. Good morning, good morning. What day is it? I think it's Thursday. Let's all agree, right? We all agree it's Thursday. Let's just do it as a consensus. Yes, you were probably like, who is this? Who's uh, filling in for Dina today, uh, hosting the show? <clears throat> this is called All Natural. Uh, Jason, it is... 839, which just so we're all clear, is really 2.30 in the afternoon, <laughs> my body time. Um, so I was away for 10, 11 days. Uh, and I realized, yeah, Missy, you and I, we go to match on Friday. Uh, I, I realized with this trip, I just kept getting further and further away. I was just like, let me go to England five hours away, which was originally four hours. I don't know. I think I told you this. Apparently Europe or maybe specifically England, I'm not really sure what areas they did daylight savings a week before us. So when I first got over there, that's what made it worse. When I first got over there, they were four hours ahead of us for like a week. <clears throat> then daylight savings hit and then they were five hours ahead of us. And then apparently from England to Belgium, which is not that far east, other side of the world, uh, then I was six hours ahead of you. And I was like, I got to either I have to keep going just east until I wrap back around, which was not an option. <coughs> or I had to move back. It was a whole. I was so tired. I was so tired anyway. I'll show you this. I feel like this should clear up what's happening with my hair. Um, let's see where she is now. So I left my Airbnb yesterday um, at 6.30 in the morning by cab. And then from the cab to the train. Now, uh, Jurgen had mentioned that... Um, there was a there was a strike, a train strike right before I left, uh, and it was like we are only going to strike for the next forty eight hours while Dina is here. So um, 
it was so funny. And we were we were laughing because Jurgen didn't want me to leave. He's like, I don't want you to leave. I call the trains and I say, you, you don't go tomorrow. So Dina has to stay here like that. I'm working on it, the accent, because he was right, right there. So now I'm hearing it. So uh, it's a weird way. So like, you know, you know how in uh, Philly, if uh, if they say we're on strikes. I don't know why that's plural. That's it. There's no train. <laughs> we're out. That's it. No, not in Belgium. Uh, they're like, we're on strike. We're not. We're going to show you. Except for these two lines that will run. Because, you know, go got to eat and she wants to go somewhere nice. So they were like, we're going to still run the trains. But now you have to go like a bunch of transfers. <clears throat> transfer, transfer, transfer. Fine. All that was fine. And I have, a, I have a theory about traveling that if your luggage is too heavy or you got too many bags, don't bring it. No one's going to help you. And that came in real handy because nobody was helping me. <laughs> so the whole time I was like, why did I bring all this stuff? Whatever. It was fine. I get to Brussels. I get on my flight. I'm hard to remember. Uh, no, no. So then, yeah. Brussels. Yeah. Train to Brussels. Flight from Brussels to Heathrow. Fine. Uneventful. I don't even remember. Stop it. Tim, Tim just got here. So we did that. And then I realized coming into Heathrow, I don't know if you guys know this, but Heathrow Airport, it's its own city. It's its own thing. Good morning. How are you? Oh, the dogs are so excited. Tim is here. If you're new here, Tim is the painter and he's finishing up my bathroom. Um, so I don't know if I like the black wall. What do you think? I don't think so. The black wall? I don't think so. I think we should just do it gray. I tried to do something cool in the bathroom, but it looked dumb. The rest of it looks nice. Almost done. So Heathrow is so overwhelming. And when I landed, <clears throat> it was only an hour. That's how long I had for this transfer. And I, and, and I feel like I remember Wendy saying, it's not going to be bad. You're like going to come in at this gate and then it's just two gates over. You'll be fine. Uh, that's not what happened. They basically dropped me off in the middle of the runway. They were like, hey, welcome to London where it rains all the time. We're, we can't get you a gate. We're just going to open this door and you're all going to get down. And then there'll be a bus. I was like, a bu what? They're going to be a bus. Now, anytime I've walked off of a plane to the ground, it's because the airport was this big. I was like, why is Heathrow dropping us, us on the runway? But they did. And I'm trying, I'm trying to get, I was like, so we got to go from this, from this plane to a bus. Fine. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I don't want to be the lady like, I have a transfer. I'm so important. But I was, I was, but I'm not going to say, cause I don't want to be that lady. But I was like, it'll be fine. I just said, yeah. And then two gates. By the time I get to the top of the ramp, buses, first bus is full. And now I'm looking behind me. I'm like, now we got all these people to get on this bus. I don't have time for this. So they were like, bus is closed. I was like, no, it's not. And I come, and it's raining. I come running down the step, the only dum-dum. And there's an old lady at the bottom of the step. She's like, I don't want to take this train. I was like, I'll move. So I go running on to this bus train. I don't know, whatever. I get on the bus. I'm thinking, okay, it'll be fine. So I go in the airport and I'm looking at these signs. Now, 
I was at Heathrow, but the, everything's in lots of different languages, right? And you're all over Europe, you see lots of different languages. And so eventually you just start looking for like a picture. A picture looks like a bus. You're like, I think that's where the bus is. I think that's security. That's a bathroom. I don't know why there's a picture of a man running. Everywhere in Heathrow, they have this thing. It's just this guy. And I was like, what's going to happen here? That There's just a whole bunch of pictures of people running for their lives. I, I don't know. You know, you see that in the Midwest sometimes with like tornado shelters. But this is just, maybe he's getting coffee. I don't know. But it's just a whole bunch of doors. Just get up out. Whatever. Yeah. So... I'm looking at this sign. It's like, you are here. And I was like, okay. And then it had a whole bunch of pictures. And I was like, I don't think I'm supposed to get my luggage here. I think it's supposed to just go. But they were like, anybody connecting has to go here. And I was like, cool. I don't have to go through customs here because this isn't my final destination. So I keep running. And they were like, you got to go through security again. I was like, I just bought water, iced tea for this long trip right in the trash. So now I'm running. I'm running. I don't This thing just went on and on. It was like the amazing race. I was like, I should never be on this. So I'm running up escalator. And the escalator is like one of those like two, four, five flights escalator where you're like, this is how people die. I'm running. I fall up the steps. I was like, this is too much for me right now. And so that, that's the moment where you're like, I'm just going to die. You know how, like, again, Missy talks about herself in colonial times. I go back further. Like, if I was, like, being chased by a saber-tooth tiger, I'd be like, you should just do it. Because, girl, I'm not going to run. I'm not a runner. I'm, I'm, I'm an artist. <laughs> like, even even in, in like, like caveman times, I'd be like, guys, let me just do the drawings on the wall. I just, I can't. Whatever. So I'm running, pushing people out of the way. So I got to go through security again. Get into the line. You got to take your belt off. So I'm getting good at this now, right? Fine. They put it through. Ding. They pull my bag. I was like, listen to me. I know how to get through this line. Why are you pulling my bag? And now, and then all of a sudden, everybody just started moving in slow motion. They're like, can I look in this? bag with that weird wand where they just wipe stuff and then take it to a magical box somewhere but in slow motion i was like listen i'm gonna need you to move faster i know there's not one thing in that bag you need to give it to me you know which is probably what a crazy person would say so <clears throat> i said listen i said how far is gate c from here c53 and he was like what time's your flight I said, the doors are closing at 12.50. He was like, oh, you're not going to make it. I was like, no, I am. If you didn't give me my bag. He was like, ma'am, it's a 15-minute transfer from here. There's nowhere. I said, well, the flight goes off at 110. It's 12.50. They might be like, she's missing. He was like, did you? So they do this thing, which was new, where they scan you in. You Before you can go through security, you had to take your ticket and scan it. And I was like, why are we scanning our ticket? And he said, did you scan your ticket before you came through security? I said, yes. And he said, then they're going to wait for you. I was like, girl. He was like, now they know you're in this line. I said, but I'm 20 minutes from here, considering you still have my bag. He said, they shouldn't they shouldn't leave you. Well, that's not what I was looking for. So now I'm running. 
tripping up the steps. I got back and it's filled with candy, <laughs> just chocolates. <laughs> I was like, I could have bought some fantastic jewelry. I could have done this. I was like, girl, give me some chocolates. Oh, I'll tell you about that tournament. <clears throat> I'm running. Okay. Now get off the train. Come run up this up. There's a guy running in front of me. He's running. We get up to like C52, 53, 54, fine. And I, now I know he's going to the same plane I am. He's running. He stops. He goes, they're gone. Oh, my gosh. And all the drama, right? Oh, man, I can't believe this. And there's people there, and they're like, oh, that left. That left already. You missed it. You weren't even close. And he's like, ah, oh, blah, 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 blah. Excuse me. I was like, I can't believe I ran. Okay. I ran. And I was like, I don't even know why they try to book it this way. There's no way you could. He's real drama. And she's like, you missed it a long time ago. And I was like, that's weird. And I'm looking, I go, this isn't gate 53. Yes, it is. I said, well, that four gives me pause. It's 54. Where's 53? She goes, oh, you looking for 53? Oh, that's over there. I was dumb, dumb. Man doesn't read. So now we're running. And let me put it to this thing. Now we were in it together. In my, in my eyes, like you running, I'm running. Like we're right, nothing. He was like, good luck. And he don't even said good luck. I don't even think he knew I was behind him. I pointed him in the right direction. Whatever. <clears throat> so I think we're the, they're like, we've been waiting for you too. And I was like, thank you. Now I'm full out of breath. My water's gone because they took it at security. I still have chocolate. Don't worry. And <clears throat> I tried to take like seven wrong exits. They're like, ma'am, you're going the wrong way. I was, because it, it's a seven and a half hour flight from Heathrow back to Philadelphia. And I was like, I cannot, I can't imagine these are leaving every hour. So I was just happy that I'd get on this flight. Fine. <clears throat> uh, so now I'm in a two seater. I was on the amazing race. And you know what I got? Nothing. I did get home, so I don't care. So now I'm sitting next to Paul. I said, Paul, I said, I'm coming down the aisle. And I could see him because it was just a two-seater. And you know he was like, oh, this is going to be. Oh, here she comes. I was like, sorry, I showed up. Oh, good morning, Jurgen. Um, and so he was really nice. We were talking. Whatever. Well, now we're sitting there. <clears throat> Jurgen, listen to this. So now we're sitting there. Um, and I thought, you know, you know how sometimes like that last person comes in, they shut the door and you just start taxiing. Like I, that's what I thought was happening. Well, it seems like it's taken a minute. And I was like, I didn't even have to run if this was the case. So <clears throat> we're sitting there. Tell me if anybody's ever seen this before. They start opening up the luggage things above people's head. They start opening them up. And one of the uh, stewardesses, flight attendants, comes over and says, whose purple bag is this? Whose bag is this? And the thing is, and they said, I had to, they were like, ma'am, you have to keep all your, I had two big bags. Like, you have to keep them with you. I was like, I think they're supposed to be one secure. They're like, ma'am, keep it with. I was covered in bags for seven and a half hours. They were like, there's no more room. Keep it in your lap. I go, I don't know. I feel like you've said that was very dangerous for the 50,000 other flights I've taken. They're like, keep it on your lap the whole flight. Oh, okay. 
whatever. <clears throat> so now, whose purple bag is this? Please tell me who's purple. If somebody doesn't claim this purple bag right now, we're all getting off the plane. Yeah. So now, I'm like, this is weird, Paul. Now, apparently, Paul <clears throat> travels a lot internationally. So he was, I was like, Paul, because I'm a domestic girl. Like, I've heard, this is only the second time I've been to Europe. So I was like, this is weird, right, Paul? And he's from Philly. He's like, this is weird. And I was like, you ever see this before? He was like, no. So, and they're opening up a couple of the bins and they're like, whose is this? Whose bag is this? Whose bag is this? So now everybody's getting real quiet. <clears throat> then they close them all and they walk away. Now we're still sitting here. Now 15, 20 minutes, I was running. I got a big black and blue mark on my leg. So next thing you know, pilot comes on. <clears throat> Anybody seen this before? Anybody want to guess? Mm -hmm. So now they say, ladies and gentlemen, we've just been notified by security. I was like, oh, this can't be good. That someone that came through security after they rewatched the scan somebody had a liquid in their in their bag and i was like they were like we have identified the person is as well as the bag and they have been removed from the flight to go back to a security scanner to rescan so we can find out <clears throat> you know what this liquid is and take it and you're like okay they're like so it's only about 15 minutes for the person to, and the bag to be removed, go scan it at terminal two, and then come back. So we're going to wait. I was like, this is weird, right? So, and nobody's complaining. We're like, you do you, you know, girl, this is your job. This is why we're here. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. So now we're sitting there. I'm trying to text the kids. How am I getting home? Fine. <clears throat> 15, 20 minutes goes by. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, um, turns out this is taking a little longer than we thought. So that passenger is going to go on a different flight. So now in that moment, you're like, whew, thank God, right? Like that's your first thought. Like, oh, let's get this going. But then you're like, Right? Weird. I'm telling you, Heathrow, considering it's a small city, <clears throat> they got a system. Not only are they checking your scans once through, right? But they got a second pair of eyes somewhere that's like, nope. I want you to go to Terminal 5, Gate C52, Row 47, Seat B. And pull that person again. It was crazy. This is still our reality. Whatever. They pull the person. Off we go. Very uneventful. Except for the part where I tried to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I tried to go to the bathroom. I tried to go to the bathroom. I did. I was going to the bathroom, right? I'm literally... 
I don't think Wendy could have booked a cheaper ticket. I was the last row of a giant like transatlantic plane. Like if I could have, if my seat could have been the toilet, that's the only way it could have been cheaper. <laughs> Wendy was like, oh, you want to go to, oh girl, I got you. There's going to be a little bit of running and you are in baggage. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, I go to the, it was fine. You know how like Jeremy, when he was helping us like book the cruise, like he was, he was like, where do you want to be on the ship? (coughs) I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, the closer to the top, I guess rocks more than the bottom. I don't know. But there was like a thing on like where, you know, where you'll feel the most motion. Well, apparently when you're in, in baggage, uh, it's like a lot more of that. Fine. Whatever. So I decided to go to the bathroom, which yeah, is really the back of the plane. Literally, we had to be over the ocean. There was nothing. There was nothing. There was no storm. There was no nothing. I'm in the bathroom. I hate bathrooms on planes. So, you know, it's an emergency. I'm in the bathroom. All of a sudden, it's turbulence. Bad. And, uh, and you know, they're so tiny. Literally, my whole body is just jostling back and forth. I'm like, I have no idea what this is going to look like when I turn around. It was so crazy. And, I, and, then, and then as I'm standing in there, I look and turn the seatbelt sign comes on. I said, in I'm midstream. This I can't. I I just I've never I've never even noticed. Maybe it said return to your seats. I don't know. But I was like, this is not the time. So I'm cracking up in the bathroom. <clears throat> Whatever. I put myself back together. I come out. I said, you are. I just used the last paper towel. She's like, ma'am, you're supposed to be in the seat. And I was like, oh, I figured. Thrown around in this bathroom. I don't know how people do the mile high club. I can barely get in there and you add some turbulence to it. It's just, it's too much. You need, you need a seatbelt. So I come out, she's like, you have to get in your seat. Fine. Well, after seven and a half hours with all my bags on me, my knees are killing me. I'm tired. I'm tired. I don't usually get motion sick. Like it would have to be pretty bad, um, which it was, but I, um speak like dina Ooh, um wow okay so jürgen's making fun because he was like we are all learning new words from you and i said what what are you talking about he goes this is you ready wow look at that wow oh over there wow <laughs> i said people say well, you don't say well he says well we don't do it like you do it all the time oh look wow over there. Wow. That says what we are learning from you. I was like, oh, you can learn a lot of other things from me, but I don't think that that's weird. Everybody says, wow. And then he said, um, then he said, oh, the other thing is um, you do this. You do, you do. Yes. Yes. So all three of them, Wim, uh, Natalie, Jurgen, they're like, yes. He's so sophisticated. That's what, that's what I picked up. No matter what you're doing, no matter what it is, if you're being jostled around in a toilet uh, miles above the Atlantic, just flopping around, just, oh, this is so sophisticated. If you say it, it's better. So, so fine. We land. 
my plan was to land, go home, take a shower, and then go to Jacqueline's comedy show last night. So I landed at 4.30, which is really 10.30 my time. And I was like, I just need to stay up a little bit so that I can get back on. So now it's like, I'm going to be up really. Well, I get, by the time I go through customs, it's now it's 5.30. And so Jacqueline was like, Dina, she said, she said, I'm going to pick you up, but I don't have time to bring you home. And I realized it didn't matter if I did or not, because I wasn't going to have time to shower. I said, let's just go eat. And then we'll go to your show. So now I'm in the bathroom trying to fix this up. I said, Jacqueline, I'll meet you right outside of baggage claim. <clears throat> so I gather my things. I'm like, I just need to get my rolly bag because I was carrying everything. I get downstairs. I'm just like, give me my rolly bag. I need, I need this. I need to stop moving my body. Here's me. Now. It had taken so long to get through customs. They had taken most of the luggage off and started putting it in, in the line at the airport. <clears throat> Here's me. I'm looking at the luggage. I'm like, she's not here. This luggage isn't here. I know she's not here. I can feel it. I can feel we've been separated. I had bought new luggage for this trip because my, my skeleton bag had bro- broken. <coughs> so I'm looking at it. And... Uh, I don't see my luggage. So I decide I had put an air tag in it before I left. I was like, let me air tag this. Let me see where my girl is right now. And she is at Heathrow. So there's my luggage. She's moved a little bit. She used to be at terminal five, but it looks like she's at a gate now. Yeah. So my air tag knows. So you can buy air tags. I went on to um, Amazon before I left and I bought like a four pack of air tags. You know, you hear them mostly like with murder, Uh, you know, men sticking them on cars and tracking you and stuff. But a couple of people actually, um, Ann Paglioni told me she had gone to Europe, lost her bag and she could see it the whole time. She never got it until she came home 10 days later. But um she could see it. And she told them, she's like, I can see it. It's a terminal five at your airport. And they still couldn't find it. So, um, so yeah. So they were like, um, why do you think it's at the terminal? I go, cause I can see it. I can see my kids and my bag. And uh, one of them's in London. So apparently having an amazing time. Um, so no, yeah, I had my, ch- <laughs> thank goodness. I did what I was supposed to do. You should never pack your medicines in your luggage. <clears throat> so I had my medicines. Um, you should um, make sure that, you know, you have your passport, everything with you. Fine. I was secure. And chocolate. <clears throat> I was like, I am not going to lose this important thing. And my makeup. I would never plan my makeup. What's up? You taking a break? Um. So all of my, um, all of my hair products, this was a long story to tell you why this looks like this. So all of my hair products and everything else are sitting somewhere in London. And by the time I got home and took a shower and got in bed, I was like, well, this is going to look all natural tomorrow. So Brooke gave me some stuff to put in it, but this is, uh, no, you didn't Rebecca. Oh my gosh. 
Um, so this is who I'm going to be. So, uh, yeah, it's, it might get bigger and bigger if it rains. So, um, all four passports fill out at the gate. Oh my gosh. Oh, that's right. And all my candles. So Jurgen had these beautiful candles from him and Wim's wedding and he had some at the house and he had some at the shop. And I was saying, I have to get some of these candles. Like now they just remind me so much of uh, Bruges because I feel like they were everywhere. And he was like, I'm going to give you some. And so he got, he gave me three candles. I'm going to put them by the fireplace, you know, when they show up, I should have air tagged those. Um, so they're in a, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, exactly. What did you buy in the house? I didn't even have to buy them. You guys, I didn't even buy them. I, he gave them to me. I was going to steal it, but he gave it to me. So, um, yeah, Christy, I never wear my hair. Well, I never usually have time for it to dry. That's really the issue. I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I took a kid. The lamp was going to be hard to travel with. So, um, <clears throat> so we, we wrapped up all of the candles and clothes. Um, yeah, no, Rebecca, that's a good plan. Um, so yeah. And then, and then last night I went to Jacqueline's show and it was so good. She, um, uh, was on a show with, I don't know, maybe seven other people, all fellas. And she was the second to last. And she went up and she was so funny. I can't wait. <clears throat> There's a couple shows I have coming up in the next few weekends uh, with the kids, with Missy. Missy and I are together Friday night. If you are in the Pennsylvania area, uh, Pennsylvania, Delaware, New Jersey, it's not too far, but we'll be together Friday night at Soul Joel's. I'll be with Jacqueline on Saturday in Doylestown. And then I think the following weekend I'm with Dean and Jacqueline at different times. So, um, so yeah, it's uh, some some lovely shows I'm looking forward to. <clears throat> Thanks, Stargazer Mom. Um, so yeah, so I'm you'll have to excuse me if my voice is just a little weird. I so by the time I went to bed at eleven last night, which was really five in the morning, which is what time I got up yesterday. So I've been I was up for 24 hours. So if I will do my best to make sense as we move into our guest for today. Uh, hopefully I will uh, be able to form complete sentences because I'm a little, as we say in the Italian culture, a little stunad. Um, it is, it's the dry airplane voice. And it was just getting uh, <clears throat> like softer and softer. By the time I was in the car with the Uber driver, I was like, thank you for driving me home. Um, so yeah, I'm going to probably lay down a little bit after the show and with myself. <clears throat> But it was a great trip, and we'll talk more about it. Um, so um, so it's good to be back in the kitchen, and uh, sexy producer Michelle always does a great job uh, filling our Thursdays with some amazing guests from lots of different backgrounds. Um, <clears throat> Michelle, do I have an intro? I do? Oh, here it is. I do. Okay, I have it. You can write in front of me on this paper. You want me to read this? Okay. All right. That's the day I'm having. Um, oh, Renee, I'm looking forward to seeing you. <clears throat> so uh, our guest today is somebody I had read about um, and just seemed like what she had created was so interesting and so women-centric um, and so much like attitude and grit to it. Uh, and it's something that I... 
uh, as I have moved through divorce and <clears throat> I'm rebuilding and trying to educate myself on lots of different things, um, one of the things that's hardest for me, because it is something that my ex used to do most of, which is the money part of things. Uh, and not so much uh, the making of all of the money, but like the, what do you do with it or where are the best places if, if, for it to be, you know, for your long term. I think my brain is very short term and like what's right in front of me. And I think that's why we worked because he was always kind of <clears throat> a long term. And I was like, well, let's what about today? Um, so I'm trying to learn the long term. So um, so I'm excited to introduce you to our guest. Today. Uh, Lisa Carmen Wang is the founder of Bad Bitch Empire, a global community platform, building unapologetic worth and wealth for women. She's a former Olympic level, four-time USA national champion and USA Hall of Fame gymnast, a serial entrepreneur, venture capitalist, international speaker, certified executive coach, and host of the Bad Bitch Empire po podcast. <clears throat> Lisa is an executive board member of Fast Company, has been recognized as a Forbes 30 under 30 honoree, Red Bull Hero of the Year, and Entrepreneur Magazine's 100 Most Powerful Women. Her work has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Fortune, The Atlantic, Bloomberg, Washington Post, Business, uh, Business Insider, USA Today, NASDAQ, CNN, and more. And she uh, started her career as a hedge fund analyst and is a graduate of Yale University. So basically, she's cooler than all of us. So we should know that going in. So uh, help me welcome to the show right now, Lisa Carmen. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, your resume is crazy impressive. Um, so we're going to get to the bad bitch empire part, but um, it talked about, I had read some articles and you, you really credit a lot of like your work ethic and your ability to build this business on what you had done um, as a younger woman, as a Olymp aspiring Olympian. So do you want to start there and we'll listen in? Sure. I started gymnastics when I was nine years old. And it was really funny, actually, how I got into the sport in the first place, because it was third grade. We had something called Fine Arts Day and where we didn't take any math or science classes or anything like that. And it was just dancing, art, sports. And I was torn between the Beanie Baby making class and the rhythmic gymnastics class because I was a big collector of Beanie Babies. I was like, the value of these is skyrocketing. Oh, you knew then you were an investor, yes. <laughs> and um, But my last name starts with a W, which is at the end of the alphabet, which meant I always had to choose last because they went A to Z. And so on that day, for some reason, I decided to speak up and I went to the teacher and I was like, it's just not fair that the second half of the alphabet always has to go after the first half of the alphabet. And she was like, well, there's nothing I can do with it. Those are the rules. However, I can put it up for a vote. And so I ended up getting on my little podium or one of the desks and I rallied the entire second half of the alphabet. And I was like, guys, it's just not fair. <laughs> Go after the second, the first half of the alphabet. And so we ended up winning by one M. Uh, so well, we won and that meant that we got to go first, which meant that I got to go first, which then I did eeny, meeny, miny, mo, And I ended up with the gymnastics class, That's so went funny. to it, fell in love. And that defined the last 
the next 10 years of my life as a as a competitive gymnast. Wow. I love that uh, you and fighting for things that you want started so early as well. And that out of this silly story, you became like a, a national champion. So you talked in, in an article I'd read about, you know, really trying for the Olympics. And then that there was like a quarter of a point or the quarter is not a word. And you miss, you're right. You're, you don't get to go to the Olympics, which you said was devastating. Tell me about that. Yeah. So again, when I started gymnastics, I found out pretty soon that I was quite good at it and I, it really motivated me. And so I really committed pretty much by the time I was 10 years old. And I said, I have a decade long dream. I want to go to the Olympics. And that would be training for the next 10 years of my life for that one goal. And that meant sacrificing a social life. That meant, you know, I, I never, like, I didn't have friends. I was either at school or I was at the gym and um, I was training by the time I was, um, you know, pretty late in my career, I was doing, you know, eight hour days of training and um, you do the same routines over and over and over again. And you are just told to be absolutely perfect, you know, perfect 10 perfect. And so um, I was, I was on track to the Olympics. I went from state champion to regional champion, national champion, Pan Am. I was in world championships three times. And then I had my final qualifying competition and yeah, I stumbled and I ended up missing it by 0.25 tenths of a point. And that was one of the toughest moments of my life because when you've committed your entire adolescence one dream and suddenly feels like you failed yourself, your coaches, your parents, the country. And at that point I was just 18 years old and um, my identity, which I had banked on being a gymnast was also completely shattered. And so I didn't really know what I was going to do. But that around that same time, I did get my acceptance to Yale university and I decided, however, that I couldn't end my career on a losing note. And I realized that my identity wasn't that of a gymnast. It was that of a fighter and a winner. And I was like, winners don't quit when they're down. And so I told Yale that I wasn't going to go that year. And I bought a one-way ticket to Russia, to the Russian Olympic Training Center. As one does, right? Yes. And that's the most rigorous training center in the world. If you imagine Siberia in the middle of winter and just in the gym, nine hours a day. And I wanted to prove to myself that I could do it for my own internal motivation, because now I didn't really have that like external thing that I needed to achieve anymore. And so I trained and traveled and competed for the next nine months. And I ended up at my final competition in the U.S. at the U.S. National Championships. And then that final competition, I won every single gold medal. I won Athlete of the Year. And then I was like, peace, bitches. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. What an amazing. And we have so much in common because I also turned Yale down. It was it's so weird that you said that. Uh, you know, sometimes a girl's got to go to the local college instead. So we have that from lying. I know one. Somebody had said earlier, they're like, gosh. And when when the end of your resume is and the, and she's also a graduate of Yale, you know that, you know, that's what you put at the bottom. I would lead with it. I'd have shirts made. I'd be like, guys, I walked through Yale's campus once. Like I'd wear that shirt and be super proud of myself. So 
So that's amazing. So, so tell me, how does one then go from where you were? So um, you went to Yale, you graduated something, right? What's, what is your degree in from Yale? Uh, in literature. Oh, interesting. Which is great because you eventually end up writing a book, right? With Harper Collins. So tell us how that transition happens. Yeah. So I don't think a lot of athletes talk about the post athlete transition because it's actually a very depressing period when you, you are trying to find your new identity and your new passion because you've invested so much of your life in it. And so in college, I really just didn't know who I was and I ended up trying 10 different majors. And um, all I knew is that I loved reading and I really loved psychology. And so it was in books that I was able to really learn about the psychology of different characters, learn different perspectives and learn how characters overcame their respective challenges. And so um, I really didn't know what I was going to do with literature. And certainly my parents said, like, what are you doing? (laughs) Um, This is not practical. But I do think looking back, it was quite practical because everything is about understanding how humans interact with each other and more and more having empathy for different perspectives. And so um, I ended up still graduating, not really knowing what I was going to do, but I did get a fellowship to China to study abroad for a year. And that was when I was studying um, Mandarin and the economics of um, the Chinese society. And I ended up, um, getting an internship to work at this hedge fund when I came back to New York. And um, that turned into a full-time role. And the thing is pretty quickly, I realized that I was not meant for corporate finance. I did not liking, I did not like being constrained. I did not like being told what to do. Um, Since I'd been told what to do my entire life, I think I started to rebel a little bit. And I was like, I started to feel this like, thing that was coming out. Well, I also feel like I, you can't tell a gold medalist what to do. <laughs> Girl, please. I yeah. love it. That's awesome. So and especially, especially like going into that was, I mean, really my first taste of being in male dominated areas. And my entire career has now been in male dominated industries. And I just remember thinking like, I don't, I don't, need mediocre men telling me what to do. (laughs) Like, imagine how much more I could do if only I had the creative freedom and the space to do it. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. So so I know it is a a peek into her amazing brain. And so, um, so you decide um, that from that point that you were going to focus on, on women in finance, were you finding like, there's a lot more women like myself who are having to now learn about this. I, I, I remember, interestingly, in an article I, I found about you was that you talked about how, how um, talk about the, the uh, good girl, the good girl. Yeah, brainwashing. Talk about that. Yeah. So I, um, the way I got into the women's leadership and empowerment space was really because of my own experiences. And after I left Wall Street and I decided to try out entrepreneurship myself, I started a company and I went to Silicon Valley to fundraise. And this was pre-Me Too, pre-really any 
larger, more public conversation about the lack of funding for female entrepreneurs mm -hmm. and had my own very difficult experiences just navigating a 95% male-dominated investor landscape. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have any female entrepreneur friends to talk to at that point. And I was like, where are they? They're, I must not be the only woman that's going through this. Mm -hmm. And I started pretty much a support group, which turned into a business because apparently there were so many women who were also struggling through the same thing and just having a hard time connecting with investors, having a hard time raising capital. And so I built a whole community platform uh, to focus on coaching, supporting um, and connecting women to the right investors. And one of the things I did notice through the course of that work was that women were coming to me to get help on how they could negotiate different sorts of tactics on raising money. And I realized that they wanted tactics, but the reality was that they, it wasn't tactics that they were missing. It was actually self-worth. Mm. It was actually deservingness. And as I analyzed it in myself, I discovered what I now call good girl brainwashing and good girl brainwashing is all of the societal and media messages that train women to stay silent, to play small, and to be subordinate to the status quo. Mm -hmm. And it causes us to have good girl habits like people-pleasing, toxic perfectionism, staying silent, weak boundaries. And as a result, we don't take risks on ourselves. Mm -hmm. We don't take risks on our dreams. We don't bet on ourselves. We stay silent in the face of disrespect and we don't value, we don't even see our own value as women. And that is very easily taken advantage of. And what you realize, especially if you're a woman who's rising up, who's trying to make change or just going after something ambitious, is that at a certain point, being a good girl might get you a good job. It might get you in the door. But if you want to be a leader, you got to become a bad bitch. Mm -hmm. And I define a bad bitch as a woman who unapologetically takes charge of her body, her boundaries and her bank account. And the choice of the word bitch was very intentional because the way we usually describe a bitch, you know, in a negative way is she's a woman who's cold or too aggressive or too opinionated or whatever we say, she's too much. Mm. And I realized that that's really just a woman who knows what she wants, has strong opinions, is willing to speak up, not going to tolerate disrespect, and is going to walk away from anyone who doesn't see her value. And Ooh. that's just... And so as a result, what we've actually done is we've used the word bitch to weaponize a woman's power against her. And the the choice then of using this word is to reclaim our power as women and to reclaim the rightful seat at the front of the table, at the head of the table as bad bitches. So um, I think that when we take back language that has been used to essentially diminish us as women, that's when we actually reclaim our power and start also realizing that a lot of the shame or guilt that we feel as women is really just societal brainwashing to make us forget how powerful we really are. Yeah, I think all the ladies are clapping now that are watching. They're like, yes, yes. Um, so there, so you've written a book about this, <coughs> which I want to talk about. Um, but one of the things that I also read is that it said that, you know, the advice that women are constantly receiving about investing is that they should save and stop spending. But the advice that men are given is to invest. 
And so much of that just rang true. You know, so much of us are, you know, maybe watching a daytime show. They're like, how can you save money and stop spending on things you don't need? And uh, it's very funny. You, you, you see articles on it. Um, but you're right. Like um, my ex used to have books and books about investing and used to talk about how important it was. So I know that deep down. I don't know that I know like the real kind of hands on things I should be doing. So tell us about your book. It's with Harper Collins, right? Tell us about that. Yeah. yeah. So the Bad Bitch Business Bible came out just less than a couple months ago. And it's the 10 commandments to break free of good girl brainwashing and take charge of your body, your boundaries and your bank account. And so it really goes through those three areas, your body, um, really holistically, how you embrace bad bitch energy, how you learn to assert your voice. Um, I, believe it or not, was ridiculously shy and introverted for the majority of my life. I couldn't speak in front of three people. Mm-hmm. And I really, um, you know, if I wasn't in the gym, I was in the library because I couldn't make friends. And so the characters were my friends. And so um, the book, yeah, it takes you through how do you really learn to love your body? Because if you can't love yourself when you're looking at the mirror, how are you going to love yourself when you are asserting that you deserve double what you're making? Right. <laughs> yeah. Job. And so then boundaries is your relationship to the external world, your relationship to um, how, you know, the the types of people you surround yourself with. Um, How do you deal with disrespectful people, primarily men in the workplace, especially if you are a woman or a woman of color? And then the last part is the bank account. And this is where we get to the investing part, because it was in the middle of writing this book that I launched my business, The Bad Bitch Empire. And you can find out more at badbitchempire.com. But um, that was when I started really realizing with all this work I had done to help women get access to capital, that at the end of the day, women weren't getting funded because women weren't investing. Mm -hmm. And if you look, just zoom back at, there's right now $110 trillion of capital in private equity, hedge funds, and venture capital. Of that 110 trillion, women manage less than 1% of that money. And that is really, really insane because something that all the most powerful and wealthy men understand is that investing is the most powerful generator of wealth. And women, again, as you said, are taught that we should be saving and Uh, spending less 90% of the money articles targeted us tell us that whereas 90% of the money articles targeted at men are like growth investing let's go build Mm -hmm. and um, when we don't control the money we don't control the decisions and investing is really the ability to make your money work for you and leverage that exponentially and for us like you see a lot of women who are willing to spend thousands of dollars on say um, a new bag or new shoes, but mm-hmm. can't put a thousand dollars into an investment account because they're afraid they're going to quote unquote lose money. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reality is you have to take some risk in order to get the reward. And if your money is actually sitting in a savings account, it's actually just losing money every day because the savings rate is lower than the inflation rate. Mm-hmm. And so if you think, if you have a few thousand, 10,000, 100,000, whatever you have in the bank account, um, it should not be sitting there in a savings account. And I thought about where I wanted to put my money. And we see so many articles now coming up of, oh, put your money in a 
um, you know, a high yield savings account or like low risk. Yeah, well, that's what everyone's saying now, Lisa, like because interest rates are so high that if it was in a savings account that it would be making more money, right? In this particular economy. Well, so what's what's also an interesting right now. So I started focusing on why is it that the so the wealthiest men are not preaching ETFs per se, the ones who are moving faster. They are, again, in private equity, in venture capital. What are ETFs? Oh, ETFs are buckets of stocks. So instead of investing in just Tesla, maybe you buy this exchange traded fund. Okay. That is like, we're going to buy a basket of stocks. Google, Tesla. And so that should reduce your risk, right? Because you're not, if one goes down and one goes up, you're, you're, you're kind of um, less risk over time, right? Yes. Yes. So you should be putting some of your money in those ETFs because historically the stock market has gone up um, anywhere from six to 10%. But where I focus is helping women angel invest. And angel investing is investing in startups. Think Shark Tank. Have you ever watched Shark Tank? Yeah, I love Shark Tank. Yeah. So you're investing in real people, real businesses at the earliest stages and owning equity in owning shares in that company early on. And so imagine if you had invested in Bumble when it first came out, you put in a thousand dollars, right? By the time it IPO'd, your money would be worth way over a million dollars. That is the power of angel investing. Imagine you had invested in, I'm sure a lot of us use Canva, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Canva is now worth over $40 billion. And when it first started, the founder of Canva is a woman. Um, Her name is Melanie Perkins. She got rejected by hundreds of investors. Mm. And people were like, we don't understand what Canva is. This doesn't make sense. We don't want to fund you. Now the people who ended, the investors who ended up investing in her saying, you know what, we're going to give you a chance. We see your vision. I mean, if you had put a thousand dollars in that, God knows it it hasn't IPO'd yet, but it would definitely be worth multiple millions right now. And in a very (coughs) short time. Wow. And the difference being if you had left that in, in the savings account, like, I don't know, it might be 5,000 bucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In 10 years. So, <laughs> um, so all of this is are things that you talk about in the book. And um, so tell everybody, uh, you know, how they can find your podcast, the book and, you know, any kind of other informational things so they can. Yeah. So you can go to badbitchempire.com. Right now, we are opening up enrollment for our next Bad Bitch Investor Bootcamp. And so this is a one-day event. It's a few hours online live where I run through all of the critical information the foundations go from total noob to badass angel investor, Have be able to think and do the math. Um, think like a top venture capitalist. And this is a boot camp that will then get you access to our community of bad bitches around the world who are all building wealth, investing and growing together. And we care about investing in female led companies because that's where the next Fortune 500 companies are going to come from. Um, so, yeah, everything can be found at badbitchempire.com. The Bad Bitch Empire podcast is everywhere. Make sure you grab the Bad Bitch Business Bible on uh, anywhere books are found, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. And you can follow me at Lisa Carmen Wang on all social channels. I love it. Lisa, this has been so great. I feel like everyone was hanging on your every word. You just 
have uh, such an amazing story and have taken, you know, the, it's, it, I don't think that it's um, unusual to have somebody that reached such an accomplished level uh, to then be able to transition that into something else. And you clearly have done that so well. And uh, I know that I had read somewhere as well, you said, if your business isn't making the world a better place, it shouldn't be happening. And so, um, so I think you're doing that for a lot of people. So, um, so thank you so much for joining us and uh, everyone go. Uh, I know Michelle, uh, producer Michelle has been putting all of uh, Lisa's information, the website, how you can find her on social into the chat as well. Um, but, uh, but thank you again. It was, this is so lovely and it's such a pleasure to meet you and uh, good luck. I can't wait to see what happens next. I'm going to check it out myself. I'm still yeah. learning. Things, so nice to have you in the community and, and yeah. with us. Yeah, no, it's exciting. I know it's something I should be doing. And so I think that anything where you're bringing women together to educate and empower, uh, we do that, but in our own weird way here uh, with comedy and just connection. So, um, so I really appreciate it. So thanks so much for joining us. Lisa, I'm so looking you again soon. So good, right? I'm not sure who needed to hear this uh, today, but I feel like it's something that all of us uh, can take away, you know, whether you are a youngin uh, and just starting and uh, you know, the best time to be investing is when you're younger. We don't say that enough. I try to tell my kids that as much as possible. Uh, or if you are kind of in the middle of uh, the chaos of raising kids and haven't even thought about how you're paying for college and all of those things, which comes quick. Uh, or maybe you're in this situation where for whatever reason you found yourself uh, trying to navigate this next stage of life uh, and finance being a big part of that. Um, so uh, hopefully you found some of this helpful. And uh, I want to thank Michelle. Yeah, Michelle is here for Michelle, always doing a great job with all of our guests. Um, so next week, uh, we have an etiquette expert who I'm positive we're going to torture. Um, her name is Elaine Swan. So she'll be joining us next Thursday. So bring your questions. Um, so we'll go from there. All right, everybody. I think that's all the energy I have. Uh, I am probably going to go climb back into bed. Um, but it's good to be home and uh, we'll see how many days I look like this. We'll see what kind of adventures my luggage has been on. Um, and, uh, and that's it. But thanks for joining us. I know Wendy and uh, the team have been busy um, posting all about upcoming shows. And like I said, I'll be with Missy on, uh, on Friday uh, and maybe Jacqueline or Dean. And then again next weekend. So we'll be local um, and, uh, and that's it. So, uh, let's see. So like, uh, Judy from Saskatoon says, do something nice for yourself, um, or another. Um, and, uh, and I look forward to seeing you guys tomorrow. So have a great day and a blessed day. And thanks for watching as always. I'll see you. Bye. Hey guys, if you enjoyed today's morning show, make sure to follow us for more one funny mother content. Okay, all right. Morse code is topping. And check out com for great, new, inappropriate swag. And for more exclusive content, consider becoming a supporter. She got up in that leg. Thanks again, and we'll see you tomorrow on One Funny Morning. <laughs>